This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. I'm Amy. I'm a recovering sexaholic, and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. So I'm super excited to be with you today. I've got two things really quickly to share before we get too far into today's topic. First, I wanted to just remind you that Worth Recovery is now available straight in the iTunes store. So if you're an iTunes fan and you want to subscribe, which we would love that over here, in the iTunes store, you can search Worth Recovery and you can subscribe. There's also a link on the website now where you can directly subscribe from the website within the iTunes store. So if this podcast has helped you in any way or you relate to any of it, I also invite you to go on to iTunes and give us a shout out and a rating. I would love to hear about your experience and what has helped you and be able to share those things with, uh, with our other listeners. Second, um, I'm really excited to announce our first challenge group. So I'm calling this challenge the 30 days of talking back and it starts April 1st. If you're not familiar with the challenge group or you're not familiar with how it works, get on the website worthrecovery.com and it will explain to you exactly how that works and what it's about. We'll be talking a lot about it for the next few episodes as we get things started. So you'll learn as we go along. This will be really fun. There'll be prizes and a variety of different things along the way. So I'm super excited. Again, you can find out all the information on the website at worthrecovery.com. You can get on the mailing list and keep up to date with what's coming out. So super excited about that. It's going to be really fun. Oh, let's get down to business, right? Today um, is episode nine of Worth Recovery. And today our topic is powerlessness. So this is the first of the deep dive series on the 12 steps. I'm going to devote, it's every other episode, it's our Friday episodes, which means that it's all the odd numbers from now on. I'm going to devote four episodes to each of the 12 steps with the the hope and the goal of really diving deep into each of those steps, figuring out what they mean, how they affect us as sex addicts, and also how to work them in our lives, right? How to understand them and how to make them work for us. So we're going to start at the very beginning, of course. It's a very good place to start. And uh, with step one. Step one from AA says, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Now we're going to focus on the first part of that statement today. We admitted we were powerless. Whatever 12-step fellowship you're attending, that might say we admitted we were powerless over lust, or we admitted we were powerless over sex and love, or maybe it's we admitted we were powerless over our sexual addictive behaviors. Whatever it is exactly that you're defining as what you're powerless over, the commonality here is that we were powerless. And that's what we're going to focus on today. From the 12 and 12, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, the book, page 21, it says, quote, Who cares to admit complete defeat? Practically no one, of course. Every natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. Close quote. 
Who cares to admit complete defeat? Not me. For sure not me. That was not at all what I wanted to do. Nor was that how I was raised, nor is that how I think society tells us the world is supposed to be, right? You know, I was raised in a very self-reliant family. We solved our own problems. We didn't look to outside help or resources. We kept problems inside and solved them on our own. We didn't even really talk to other family members about them. We were required to solve our own problems and work through things on our own. And the world definitely tells us things like that. You can control your destiny. You can be anything you want to be. People only have the control over you that you allow them to have, right? You know, all of these things tell me I should, and you know how much I love the word should. I should be able to control these things in my life. I should be able to stop if I want to stop bad enough. The Sex Addicts Anonymous Green Book tells us, quote, In our addiction, we held on to the belief that we were in control of our sexual addictive behavior and could successfully manage our lives. This kept many of us from seeing that we even had a problem. We told ourselves that if we had just tried harder, we could have stopped. But our experience has shown otherwise. Close quote. Again, that's the SAA Green Book, page 22. And that definitely relates to my experience. I thought I was controlling things. I thought I was keeping my addiction separate enough from my real life that I was being successful. Somehow I was maintaining a career. People thought I was spiritual and had connection with God, all the while knowing that I was not in control. I wanted desperately to stop, so desperately. I had tried so many times to stop, so many times, and sometimes I could stop which gave me the illusion that I was kind of in control, right? The stopping never lasted, for sure. Let me tell you about some of the times I tried to stop. I call this my powerless inventory. These are just some examples of where exerting my own power didn't work. Let's start with my junior year of college. So my junior year of college, I failed four classes my first quarter because I couldn't get myself up out of my apartment and to class. The pull for fantasy and masturbation was just way too strong. In fact, I stayed home for my finals to masturbate. Now, the second quarter wasn't any better. I was put on academic probation, but did that stop me? No, not one bit. I continued to miss classes, performances, tests. I failed a few more classes. After a third quarter of the same problem, I was kicked out of college because of my lack of academic progress. I knew I had a problem. I knew I needed to change. So I moved apartments. I got new roommates. I tried to make a new life for myself. And I stayed sober. Sober for four months. Four whole months. Not even a year. Now, after getting kicked out of school, I obtained a full-time job to make my ends meet, right? While I waited for a year before I could go back to school. For the first few months, things were good. Like I said, I was staying sober. I was feeling good about life. But then things really changed as I tried to deal with some drama with some of my friends. <laughs> as the drama picked up, I, I couldn't handle it. So I resorted to what I knew. I started acting out again. Fantasy, masturbation. Finally, I was fired from the job for chronic tardiness. I was always out late and I was up late or I just couldn't get out of bed in the morning because I was acting out and masturbating in fantasy. So I got fired from the only job I've ever gotten fired from in my entire life. I only had the job for four months. After that's devastation, 
huge devastation because I had to move home. I had to move back in with my parents because I couldn't make ends meet. I stayed sober, yep, for nine months. Nine months. Not even that devastation was enough. A few years later, I saw the consequences of alcoholism in one of my friend's lives. I'm sure he had a sex addiction as well, but it's not my place to diagnose or take his inventory. But while he was engaged to one woman who was pregnant, he also had two affairs with married women who both ended up pregnant as well. Both of those marriages ended up in divorce and they ended up giving the babies up for adoption. Total craziness. Sad, sad stories. It scared me. I didn't want to end up pregnant or in a situation like that. And so I was determined to stay sober. I was ready, ready to make it happen. And it lasted for five months. <laughs> five months. I couldn't even make that happen. I remember when I crossed my first major boundary when I was acting out with men. That was oral sex for me. I, it was not something that I wanted to be doing. And it wasn't what I had agreed to. I felt seriously taken advantage of in this situation and had been held literally against my will. I left crying. The whole thing was just really, really horrible. And I thought, okay, this is enough, right? This has got to be enough to keep me sober. Three months. I stayed sober for three months after that. During a period of time in my life when I was really, really desperate for a change, I tried red X's. I allowed myself two red X's on my calendar a month. These were days where I would act out in some form, twice a month. I had proven to myself that I couldn't stop acting out altogether. But maybe if I could just limit it, I'd be okay, right? Maybe if I could just control it a little bit more. I remember one night staring at my calendar, already seeing two red X's, and knowing there was no way I was going to last 10 more days until the end of the month. So... I changed my rule. My rule became three red X's. I could have three red X's a month. Much later that night, after acting out, I cried myself to sleep, knowing that red X's were never going to work. I was full of shame that I could not control my behavior. I even at one time tried punishing myself in like really painful ways. I was never a cutter or anything, but I would do all sorts of other painful things to myself that would make acting out painful. That didn't help either, nor could I continue that behavior for very long. I had tried to stop over and over and over and over again. I had tried to stop. These are just a few of the examples that I have. But no matter what was going on, I I just couldn't do it. I could not make it stop. Again from the Green Book, quote, Admitting that our willpower is insufficient allows us to be open to new ways of thinking and living. As long as we retain a belief in self-control as a remedy for our addiction, we will continue to fail. With this step, step one, we honestly admit that we don't have all the answers and that we need help. When we admit our powerlessness, we start letting go of control and become more open to receiving the help we so desperately need. Close quote. These are just a few of the times that I had tried to stop. I could spend hours recounting all the times that I had done that, or at least tried to stop, right? Only to end up acting out again and again. And every time I acted out again, I became more and more humiliated, more and more shameful. I hated myself more and more because I couldn't control my destiny like the world told me I should be able to. I couldn't stop. No matter what I had tried, I couldn't stop. I love this paragraph from Sexaholics Anonymous White Book, and this is from page 83, quote, 
we begin to see that without limits, we would destroy ourselves. But we were powerless to limit ourselves. And the more we indulged, the more unmanageable our lives became. Thus, in time, we came to the growing realization that we were losing control. Close quote. That was my story. I knew that I needed limits and boundaries, but I was powerless to limit myself. I was powerless to stop. And every time I went back out there and started acting out again, my life became more and more unmanageable. I was losing control. Now, I consider myself an intelligent person. I've lived my life studying. I know how to learn and I teach others. I'm a firm believer in gaining knowledge and understanding. So the first thing I did when I decided I had a problem was I went out and did the research. I started to read books about addiction. I started seeing a therapist. Every week, it seemed, we would discuss some new book or some philosophy, some new idea, some insight to addiction. Every book that was mentioned, I would buy on the way home from therapy. <laughs> Seriously, every single one. And I would read it before my next appointment. I was taking in everything that I could. It was a brand new idea and field to me. I was studying and learning about addiction, shame, sex, relationships, intimacy, betrayal, all sorts of things. I loved it because I love learning and I loved learning about this new things. But I still wasn't staying sober. I was struggling. I was relapsing, it seemed like, every month, every six weeks, something like that. And then my 12-step group started studying the big book of AA. And I read this from page 39. Quote, The actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly any exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. Let me say that again. The actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly any exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. I could tell you all sorts of things about addiction, about the addictive process, about my personal addiction and my own processes. I could tell you all about my childhood, about the destructive messages I received. I could make connections and understand my own responses to people in my life. I could tell you why I was doing what I was doing, but I still couldn't stop it. I remember one time even talking myself through while I was doing everything I was doing while I was doing it. Knowing the why behind it didn't help me. It truly is like the big book says, the actual or potential, I'm going to substitute sexaholic here, the, absolute, the actual or potential sexaholic, with hardly any exception, will be absolutely unable to stop thing on the basis of self-knowledge. Knowing why, understanding the how, or even why my brain was doing what it was doing was not enough. This was new territory for me. Knowing was not enough. I had to admit my own personal powerlessness to change it. I had to admit that my own willpower, my own self-knowledge, my own desire was not enough. I had to admit complete defeat. Complete defeat. Again, back to the 12 and 12. I love this part from page 21. Quote, But upon entering AA, we soon take quite another view of this absolute humiliation. We perceive that only through utter defeat are we able to take the first steps towards liberation and strength. Our admissions of personal powerlessness finally turn out to be the firm bedrock upon which happy and purposeful lives may be built. Close quote. How does admitting our utter defeat give us liberation and strength? How does admitting our powerlessness become a way to actually stop acting out our addiction? 
These were questions that I needed answered. And then I remembered. I grew up near the ocean in Southern California. I remember one time at about eight years old playing in the waves one summer day. Now, I was a strong swimmer. I've always been a strong swimmer. And I wasn't afraid of the water or the ocean at all. No matter how many times my dad told me to stay close to shore where I could touch the ground, I didn't really pay attention. The ocean is stronger than you, Amy, he would keep telling me. But the waves were so much fun. And I drifted further and further out to the bigger and bigger waves. I couldn't touch, but that was okay, right? I could tread water like a champ. Up and down, wave after wave. It was so fun. Until one wave was too big. Way too big. Over and over I turned until my head struck the bottom. And even then, I continued to spin as the wave somersaulted me to shore, crashing me into the sand with great force. My whole body was scraped up and my head hurt. Another wave started to crash on top of me. I gasped for air and my dad picked me up out of the water. There are forces at work in our lives and in the world that are beyond our control, like the ocean. When I willingly acknowledge my powerlessness over these forces and impulses, I am acknowledging reality. I am acknowledging and showing respect to these forces. And in that process, I become accountable for my own actions regarding them. As an eight-year-old, I come face to face with my powerlessness over the ocean and the beautiful waves. But it was then my choice what to do next. And of course, I chose to march right back out into the water. But this time, I stayed closer to shore. I stayed where I could touch. And over the years, as I learned more and more about how the ocean works and wave patterns, I learned to be able to read the currents. I learned to navigate the shoreline and to go where I wanted, when I wanted. And I never had an encounter with the ocean like that again, ever. Things would have been totally different had I marched right out into the ocean as an eight-year-old girl and done the same thing. The ocean is not less powerful because I am unwilling to acknowledge its power. It continues on. And I would continue to get caught in the waves over and over and over and over again, not really understanding what was going on. Sound familiar? That's my addiction story. But it is through my acknowledgement of the ocean and my complete powerlessness over it that I start to see my options and my choices in a new light. I understand that once I go beyond touching, once I go beyond where I can touch the bottom, that I am at the mercy of the ocean. I have no control. I am powerless. In acknowledging my powerlessness over my impulses and my addictive behavior, I acknowledge reality and respect the strength of those forces in my life. And through that process, I become accountable for my own actions regarding them. Until I admit defeat and powerlessness, the forces act upon me, sometimes like waves from the ocean wreaking havoc in my life. This can happen over and over and over and over and over again. We feel knocked down and scraped up. However, once we stand up and face them, admit our defeat, and come to understand how they work, the options and choices are now available to us. We learn how to navigate our world and our lives with skill. Admitting powerlessness is the first step to opening our own real strength. Now for me, admitting powerlessness was really difficult. It requires humility and meekness. It requires a willing heart and a contrite attitude. 
but the rewards that I have seen in my own life are immense. Let me offer three gifts that powerlessness has given to me in my life. Gift one, powerlessness gave me the gift of reality. Living in recovery demands rigorous honesty and acceptance of reality. It doesn't mean we have to like it or want it, but it's real. Reality is reality. By not admitting defeat or by continuing to delude myself into thinking that I could control this, I was not living in reality. I was living in some alternate fantasy where I could control the world. By admitting my powerlessness, I am forced to live and accept reality. Not try and alter it, not try and escape it, not even love it or like it, but accept it. Reality shows me that I am powerless over more things than I have power over. The weather, other people, nature, harms done to me, other people's responses, just to name a few. The gift of reality, of seeing things as they really are, and of being present, though jarring at first, for sure, has been one of the greatest gifts of recovery for me. And powerlessness gave me that gift. Gift two. Powerlessness gave me the gift of self-compassion. See, if I truly had power over my addiction, then I am truly a horrible person for not stopping sooner. With every failed attempt to stop or limit my behavior, I fell deeper and deeper into shame and self-hatred. By the time I entered recovery, the disgust with which I viewed myself was profound. The amount of shame and unworthiness I felt was deep. Some days I dreamt of disappearing, of driving off a cliff, or just ceasing to exist. Not because I hated the world or because I wanted to punish anyone or anything, but because I just didn't feel worthy of taking up space. Admitting defeat, understanding that there were forces at work here beyond my control, and even beyond, beyond my comprehension at first, was truly liberating. It gave me back the gift of self. Powerlessness helped me understand those forces and see that it wasn't me. Powerlessness gave me the gift of compassion for myself. Gift three, powerlessness gave me the gift of connection. Until admitting defeat, my own shame and self-disgust, pride and judgmental attitudes kept me from connecting with other people in a real or authentic way. I was either pretending my addiction didn't exist and judging others for their misdeeds, or I was so deep into shame that I would isolate and avoid contact at all costs. As I sat in 12-step meetings and watched others admit their powerlessness, and as I learned to admit my own, I started to relate to and connect with people in an honest way, probably for the first time in my life. Watching heads nod in meetings as I shared my real struggle was a gift. Understanding that though I may be powerless, I was not alone has been a huge blessing and a huge gift in my life. Reality, self-compassion, and connection are just three of many gifts that powerlessness has brought into my life. Understanding and admitting my powerlessness was the first step on the road of my real recovery. It was the first step that helped me to see the options in my life. Just because I'm powerless over the ocean doesn't mean that I don't have the ability to make choices on what I do when I'm faced with the water. Understanding my powerlessness opens choices in my life. Understanding that I can't do this by myself. Understanding that there are other options on how I re respond and how I react. Understanding that through my powerlessness, I can find the help and the strength that I need to continue on to recovery. 
is what gets me started. It's what helps me. It's what gives me the strength that I need. Who knew that admitting complete defeat would actually be the way to victory? I never would have guessed that when I started recovery, but I know it to be true. At the end of the step one chapter in the 12 and 12, the last sentence reads, we now stand ready to do anything which will lift the merciless obsession from us. That is the gift of powerlessness, the ability and understanding and readiness to do anything possible to lift this obsession and this addiction from us. What have been the gifts of powerlessness in your recovery? How has powerlessness helped you to find the strength to stay sober? I would love to hear from you about how powerlessness has helped. Get on the website, worthrecovery.com, or email me at amy at worthrecovery.com and share your experience with me. As always, I want you to know that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you might feel right now in this moment, even if you're in the midst of the waves, I want you to remember that you are worth recovery 100%. Keep up the fight one day at a time. I think about you. I pray for you. I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.